There's hope, amen? There's hope. Most of us have probably had at least one of those uh, experiences that we might, we might call perfect timing. When uh, you're at the right place at the right time, and it's got to be more than coincidence, right? You had, those, you had those, some of those experiences? Say, wow, if that wasn't the presence and the activity of God or the presence and activity of, of an angel of the Lord to make that happen, uh, then I'm dreaming. Marvel how it seemed to be more, of a, more than a coincidence when it happened that the Holy Spirit had been involved in, in directing you because God knows so much more than we do. Amen? Boy, we need to believe that. We need to believe that we are not our ultimate hope and salvation. But we need intervention. Uh, we need help in a broken world. Several years ago, uh, Tarina, my wife, popped in to visit my grandmother, who was about 90 at the time. Uh, she didn't do that very often, but she, she, she happened by, and uh, we, we marvel at the timing of, of what happened while she was there. Because while they were visiting, in that space of about an hour, there was an electrical short in the kitchen next room to where they were sitting in the living room visiting, and it started a fire in the kitchen. And, I mean, of all times, my grandma didn't move too quickly, uh, but of all times, Trina, who was used to working in a group home, she was calm, but she was, she was focused, and she calmly and quickly got my grandma outside, called 911, and they escaped the damage that equaled about half the value of the house. Uh, pretty, pretty extensive damage for it. How much God was directly or indirectly involved in that timing, we didn't hear specifically. But I don't need to know as much as sometimes I want to know, because we've got this thing about wanting to know so that we have this sense of knowledge and a sense of control. I don't want to know as much as, as that, so much as I want to give God thanks and glory for all good things. Amen? But boy, to be there at that moment when the fire starts to help get my grandma out. Praise the Lord. Actually, what happened that day came in handy later. Uh, like most people, my, my grandma could, could be unhappy. I would use the word crusty. But, <laughs> and so can I. I don't want to judge unless I'm willing to be judged too, right? And on one occasion, when I went to visit her and I asked her how she was doing, uh, this was one of her unhappy days, and the answer was a, was a, a, a session of, of some complaints. And so at a pause in her little speech, I was able to redirect her, and I said, Hey, Grandma, remember that time when Trina saved your life? <laughs> and it just redirected the conversation. Uh, praise the Lord for that. The term more positive. Perfect timing. Over our first three Sundays of Advent, we've recalled two of the visions and two of the prophecies that came from Isaiah, one of the prophets of the Lord. And I was reminded today as we sang, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In that second vision, how that's 
how Isaiah responded, no doubt, right down on his face, saying, woe is me, I'm undone, because I recognize that God alone is holiness. And he's before me now. And I am so much less. God calls me worthy. But boy, in the, in the very presence of God, I must fall on my face. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah would warn the people of Judah. Others would warn, would warn Israel about coming devastation, spiritual rebellion, because of spiritual rebellion and injustice and selfishness. And to be sure, a lot of people, most people, dismissed them. Some of them were persecuted very severely, like Jeremiah, for speaking the word of the Lord, because things were going really well. They were a prosperous nation. Things were going great. They said, there's no way. God favors us. That's why we're so well off, because we're favored by the Lord. And they would not recognize the word of the Lord that it was truth. They acknowledged God and they went through some of the motions of worship even, but their hearts were far from God, weren't they? Numerous prophets, especially Hosea, would use the metaphor of infidelity or unfaithfulness to describe Judah and Israel. It was a a powerful metaphor because that's how much God loved them. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves me. As one who is like at the altar with the greatest joy, that's how God views you and wants you and me to be that close to him. What would God say to us today? A popular view of God is supposed to be, or, or is, is that this, this kind of off-balance kind of love that says God only pats us on the back like a doting grandparent. God's just, God's just all love. And God is all love. But it's an understanding of what love means, isn't it? Doting love is permissiveness. Over-abuse, over-discipline is abuse. But genuine love uses both affection and discipline appropriately, doesn't it? True love from the heart of a parent sets boundaries, uh, requires attention, and requires that there's an understanding when wrong is done and corrective measures are taken. And that's how God still acts. God's not just one nuance of love. God is a perfect balance. That was clear through Isaiah and all the prophets as well because while devastation was predicted, so was restoration. Amen. When people would recognize the truth that they didn't really care about God, but they needed to, take responsibility for their rebellion and repent. And we can expect the same because God has not changed in 2,700 years since Isaiah. No matter how badly he may be misrepresented by people, God does not change. And, and I want to be careful not to misrepresent him because I don't have the corner on him. 
We can expect consequences. We can also expect consolation with the best of timing. So fast forward about 700 years from Isaiah. All the discipline that he had prophesied for, Ju- uh, for, for Judah and all the, the discipline prophesied for Israel, it had taken place. 300 years and then 400 years of silence. But there was some restoration in that time. There was the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. There was the rebuilding of the temple. There was freedom from slavery by Babylon and Assyria. And we discovered that it's the word Assyria. Good, she's learning. That set Syria off. The last two Sundays out of three. Uh, So we found the word. This is the last time I ever talk about that country. But the people of Israel were still under occupation. Now under the Roman Empire, led by Caesar, the regional ruler who was Herod, and he was something of a despot. And into that little world one night, in the inconspicuous Middle Eastern town of Bethlehem, during an unwelcome census that required people to travel back to their hometown to be counted, in a modest animal stable, behind a local inn, probably in a cut-out cave or a barn, a child was born to a seemingly insignificant couple. And he was laid in a feeding trough. I mean, manger sounds so sweet, doesn't it? It was a feeding trough, probably on a bed of hay. The coming of Jesus Christ was perfectly timed. You ever wondered, why didn't he come at a different time? Like, why didn't he come now? Man, he could have been on satellite. He could have, he could have broadcast it to pretty much the entire world like Billy Graham. So all the world would know and surely believe. But the truth is, we wouldn't all believe, would we? It is significant that he came when he did. The time of Jesus' coming was no accident, it was no coincidence, it was no shot in the dark, it was no happenstance. Do you believe that this morning? God is very intentional about about this overall story of salvation. And he calls us not to say, Lord, what's your will for my life? I believe God rather says to us, Lord, what's your will? And how does my life fit into it? Because the order of that is so important. It's not me first, Lord. Tell me what my life is to be ordered by. We can still ask that question. But first, Lord, what's your will? What are you up to? How do I fit in to that? When God does something that has to do with God's will, particularly God's salvation offer for his creation, God enters into time as we know it. He enters into our space with perfect timing because God, more than anyone, knows what's needed. And he wants to help. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Uh, I I want to invite you to, to read those verses with me. If we could have that slide, there are two slides. Wonderful. Let's read this together. As long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under fundamental principles or spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as children. Because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has you also an heir. Would you say amen to that promise, those promises? Now on the first slide, it, it sounded a little patriarchal. But that's, that's, what, that's what culture was like at the time. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son. If we could go back to the third slide. Jesus came into a, a global village of sorts. Now, it wasn't the same kind of global village that we have today, that we can contact people uh, all over the world remotely. But most of the known world was under the control of the Roman Empire. It had been for about 20 years until the birth of Jesus. So when Jesus was born, most of the world had one government in Rome. It was easy to get around, easy to cross borders, easy to get from place to place, kind of like the EU, the European Union, from country to country. Borders were open, travel was relatively unrestricted. The road system was modern for the day, and the situation was really good for good news to be announced and then to be spread. The set time had fully come. God sent his son. Jesus also came into the world of one major language. Uh, Alexander the Great had ruled for some 300 years before Jesus, and through his efforts, most of the known world, their business language was Greek. Much like the whole world's business language today is Greek. Uh, is Greek. It's English. Sorry. <laughs> And that would make it easier for the message of the Messiah to be spread in a relatively peaceful one-kingdom world. Jesus also came into a relatively peaceful world. When he was born, there was relative peace in the Roman Empire. Mind you, in, in the region that they were in with the Herods, uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a bit more restrictive. They were, they were not the greatest, kindest leaders. But by and large, the, the empire, the world as they knew it, was at peace. How significant was it that the wise men would come from some distance from the east, probably more than three, and they came from the east to meet the newborn king, and then what would they do when they left? Well, Herod had told them, I, I want you to go and, and meet him and then come back and tell me where he is, because Herod... Paranoid Herod wanted to, to kill the king. And so he would. He, he, he would try. He would kill so many children. The wise men did not go back to tell him because in a dream the Lord spoke to him. Spoke to them. And then they headed back to the east. What did they do? They spread the news. 
Uh, it was perfect timing. The set time had fully come. Peace is wonderful. But let me suggest that peace without God can be complacency. And even, even in my life as a, as, as a follower of Jesus and a believer, I can become pretty complacent, can you? And while I might acknowledge I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, you know, I'm good with that. Does my life reflect that? People will talk about values that they have, but truly the values that we have are the values that we live. Would you agree with that? I mean, we might, we might say this is important, but if we don't actually do it, it actually isn't a value. Uh, it's, 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 it's maybe a, a distant hope. But when it comes to following Jesus, may that not be a distant hope. May that be increasingly a reality in our lives, even one step at a time, as we come to know him. If you ever want an interesting read about some of the tactics of the devil... Uh, you might read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. In the fifth letter, there's a young uh, junior devil. His name's Wormwood. He's excited by the prospects of the Second World War. That's when C.S. Lewis lived. He's excited by the prospect of the Second World War because he knows that there's going to be chaos and killing and hatred and murder. And he wants that kind of Destruction to take place. But his uncle, Wormwood's uncle, screw tape. This is the how this goes. A more senior and sly devil. He warns that conflict and sickness and death cause many people to think more about ultimate questions of life. About the, the reality that maybe 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 we do need intervention. Maybe there is a, a God greater than we are. And that they're more inclined to seek a greater purpose for living than just the here and now in those times of crisis. May I not, may we not fall into the trap of spiritual complacency that comes with human peace. And it's, it's, it's always a temptation. There was finally plenty of religious dissatisfaction and moral decay in Jesus' world. Hmm. Religious dissatisfaction and moral decay. I've heard about that on the news. Kind of sounds like reality, doesn't it? There were lots of faddish religions, fads in Jesus' day. There was the popular Egyptian worship of Isis and Osiris. There was the worship of Bacchus, the god of wine. There was worship of the sun. All kinds of, of options before them. But this was very interesting. There was Mithraism. Sounds like something from Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? But it's not. Mithraism was popular with Roman soldiers. And Mithraism was the worship of Mithra, the great mother. So you understand that when we hear things today that, that, that people think are, are fresh and new and, and uh, maybe a great, a great brainwave like Mother Earth, there's nothing new under the sun. 
Very little anyway. I mean, it, it might show itself in different ways, but when we get down to the root or down to the foundation, nothing has changed much. Same thing under the sun that used to be. There was an abundance of religious dissatisfaction. There was, there was a lot of moral decay. There were even, even temple prostitutes with some religions. People were, were crying out. Many people were crying out, grasping for some purpose, some hope in life, something to give meaning, to hold on to, to guide them. And so at just the right time, the time set by God, he enters the world. He, God, not as a, as a masculine God, but the Spirit of God does come in the form of Jesus. He came during a window of time when news could travel quickly from place to place, common empire, common language to common people. And into that little world one night, in an inconspicuous Middle Eastern village in Bethlehem, during an unwelcome census that brought travelers who needed to be counted as they went to their hometowns, in a modest animal stable behind the local inn, probably cut into a cave or maybe a barn, a child was born to a seemingly insignificant couple. And he was laid in a feeding trough, wrapped in cloths, lying in the feeding trough, in the manger. It's perfect timing. It was when the perfect time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born to purchase, to redeem the people who had now come through all of the realization of those prophecies and were crying out for, looking for Messiah. But unfortunately, like so many people, that, that, that looking for Messiah was looking for a certain kind of Messiah that had been created in the mind to say, this is what Messiah should look like. And it certainly wouldn't look like a baby born in a manger. Good heavens no. What good could come out of Bethlehem? What good could come out of Nazareth where Jesus ended up living, they would say. So there was plenty of religious dissatisfaction. And when there is, yeah, there's lots of moral decay. Humans are amazing. Don't you think? Stuff people come up with. Cars that can drive themselves. Isn't that amazing? People can talk to loved ones at Christmas time all over the world. And I was in university when the fax machine came out. <laughs> I remember sitting in a class and somebody talked about this fax coming from Australia on this thermal paper that they printed out. And it blew my mind. Who uses faxes? People are amazing. Doctors can perform virtual surgery through technology. And now there are battery-operated airplanes that we keep working on. Just need enough batteries. But it's coming. It's amazing. And of course, people can go way beyond the moon now and see so far into space that it blows the mind. People are amazing. On and on goes the list of incredible accomplishments of human beings. 
But how much farther ahead are we really? No. When hundreds of millions are malnourished, when tens of thousands die each year, when our leaders can't say good things about each other, and when our scientists tell us that the clock is ticking on the actual future of this planet, people are amazing. But what trouble we get into when we replace ourselves for God and say all that we have come up with is incompatible with God. And we would say, no, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come and invade in a beautiful way. Invade with peace. Invade with hope. Invade with spiritual power that we cannot muster on our own. There will be another reckoning. I believe that. There will be more reckonings. But the intervention came. and The intervention lay in that feeding trough with simple parents. Insignificant census town, visited by lowly shepherds, later by foreign astrologers. God's timing is always perfect. It was then, it is now. To bring our focus to Christ. God's Timing is perfect for us to focus in on Jesus first. And he invites us today in this Christmas season to focus our attention on him. Not just as a baby in the manger, but a babe who would become a man, who would teach with power and authority the way of hope, the way of the kingdom. And then again, at just the right time, he would demonstrate the depth of his love by sacrificing his very self as payment for our rebellion and brokenness. I want to invite the musicians forward at this time and read to you a verse from Isaiah chapter 7, which is among those chapters that we were looking at over the last few weeks. Isaiah 7 verse 14 tells us, Your new moon feasts, your appointed festivals, God says, I I actually hate them with all my being. It was false worship. That's what he was saying. And then in verse 18, of 16, he would say, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Come now, let's settle the matter, the Lord says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like new wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured them by the sword. God has not changed. God's love, God's hope is open and available to every one of us. And it's a gesture of love. It's not a gesture of condemnation, even as John 3, 16 and 17 were read. 
Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. People need hope to cope, right? And we need hope of an eternal scope if we really want hope to cope. And I think we even need hope more than dope to cope, don't we? (laughs) The Holy Spirit, God invites us, each one of us, to come to see the hope who is Jesus Christ. And whose timing is always perfect. This Christmas is the perfect time. It's just the right time to recognize that hope has come. Will you put up the last slide, please? He invites us to come to Jesus. Whether we're already there or, 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 or we have been or we've never been, he, he invites us. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll teach you. It's just the right time to be thankful for Jesus. He's inviting you and me to be thankful. And it's just the right time to tell about Jesus, just as TJ shared earlier this morning. He's inviting us to tell people about Jesus. Do you believe in the hope of Jesus? I pray that we all do. And if we're not sure about it, that we will come to understand. And we will seek and not stop seeking until we come to understanding. I want to invite you to pray at this time. As I read from Isaiah chapter 40. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Man, do I ever need that? And I thank God for his promise. So we have an expectation that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Soar on wings like eagles. Soar like wings on eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Marathon will be nothing. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Lord Jesus, I I thank you at this time of Advent that this is the first Advent and that there's going to be a second Advent. There's going to be a second coming of you, Lord Jesus. Only you have told us it will be with great power that you will return in the same way that you left. And even as John would write at the end of the last book of the Bible, at the end of Revelation, he would say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Lord, you know, you know perfect timing because your desire is that none should perish and thank you Lord that you have made that message alive in your children that even this week we could say to somebody am I ever glad for Jesus that he came 
Lord, I agree as TJ prayed that you would give us that courage if we need it, that boldness if we need it, that sensitivity if we need it, to share the truth about the hope who is Jesus. 